Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirits in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, to you, I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. I ask this morning that we join our hearts together in prayer. Living God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When I was in high school, my family had a German foreign exchange student named Marvin who came and lived with us for a school year. I thoroughly loved that experience of having, uh, as, as I called him, my brother from another motherland. Uh, he came and lived with us, and, and I tried to learn as much as I could from him about Germany, and, and we tried to teach him as much as we possibly could about America. And I, I find the foreign exchange program so incredibly rewarding because beyond the stay of an average tourist, the foreign exchange student gets the opportunity to learn the real nitty-gritty of a culture by being immersed in the day-to-day life of a family. And sure, we did the big things. We went to New York and we went to Washington, D.C. We took him to Monticello and Williamsburg and Jamestown to see Virginia history, too. But we taught him other important things like slang and colloquial phrases. Uh, He learned what it meant to earn brownie points, which I think was his favorite American phrase. But one of the American life lessons that amazed Marvin the most uh, was our fast-paced, instantaneous culture of the drive-through. Marvin didn't have the ordinary American fare back home in Germany of drive-through food or drive-through banking, or more drive-through food, or drive-through pharmacies, or drive-through dry cleaning, and all these other drive-through opportunities we have in this country. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. He said, you drive through everything. (laughs) But then came the day that my mom decided to truly blow his mind. It was around Christmas time, and she said, Marvin, I know you've been amazed and surprised by all the drive-through options in America, but you haven't seen this last one yet. You just wait. And it was that evening that Marvin got to see what I think is the most quintessentially American drive-through opportunity there is. Drive-through Jesus. (laughs) In my hometown, there was a big church every year around Christmas time that would do a live nativity. 
And yes, you could get out of the car and you could walk around it, but in true American fashion, like any good McDonald's, there was a drive through option. The message of Christmas, all from the comfort of your own car. Drive through Jesus. That just makes sense. We were going to have to get there at some point. Drive through culture is such an integral part of American life now. We want things done faster and done with less inconvenience. If I can drive up and not even undo my seatbelt and then drive off, then it's been a good exchange. Our culture looks for the faster, easier solution. But is faster always better? I don't know, let's ask uh, coffee connoisseurs in the room. What is better, instant coffee or a fresh brewed pot of coffee where the beans were ground that morning? No contest. No contest. You know, see, you can tolerate instant coffee, but there's really only one right answer to that question. Fresh brewed coffee is better. Book lovers, what is better, reading the Sparknotes version or reading the actual book itself? The book is going to be better. Let's say you're driving your car and you need to go left. Is it better to spin your car or turn your car? (laughs) They both might make you go left. But spinning is reckless and dangerous to yourself and others. We are taught how to slowly and deliberately turn the car the desired direction. Let's say if you want to have a serious conversation with somebody who is sitting behind you. Do you want to twist around in your seat or turn your chair to face them? Perhaps there's a little bit more nuance in that question. It has a little bit more to do with our body language and our intentionality, but twisting around shows only a short-term solution that is inherently incomplete. The twister is always going to want to twist back. The one who turns their chair shows intentionality and a desire to be thoughtful to the other. This same struggle is going on in our gospel lesson today. And this same struggle will be with us throughout these 40 days of Lent. Are we twisting or are we turning? The story of Jesus facing his temptation in the wilderness should be a familiar one. It exists in each of the synoptic gospels, and it's always the way in which our season of Lent begins. As we begin our 40-day journey to the cross, we remember Jesus' 40-day struggle with Satan in the wilderness. We should not be caught unawares. This is a difficult journey. It's a journey that we make with Christ by our side. We can't make this Lenten journey alone. There's no drive through Jesus in Lent. There's no easy option or quick answer. This is a faithful and purposeful journey of repentance and discernment. Now, I will say this. Our liturgical season of Lent can create some confusion about what temptations really are along the way. We hear this story each year of temptations and then attempt to wade back into our individual Lenten disciplines of fasting that involve some form of self-denial. In this way, Jesus' struggle in the wilderness can be trivialized into nothing more than Christ convincing himself not to eat chocolate or check Facebook. But temptation isn't about being drawn to do something you shouldn't do. It's about being drawn away from who you know yourself to be. Consider the trials that are faced by Jesus. The first is bread. There's nothing evil about bread, but Satan quotes scripture to the starving Messiah and tells him to turn the stones into bread as it is written. But that's not who Jesus is. 
Making bread would have used his divine power and it would have only served himself. Jesus' ministry was a selfless one, and to serve himself would be to deny who he was called to be. The temptation of the bread tempted Jesus away from his sacrificial and serving nature. In this act of making bread, he would have denied his calling to serve. Temptation twists us away from ourselves. The second temptation is earthly power. There's nothing inherently evil about being a politician or a ruler. And Jesus would have been a great ruler, but that's not who Jesus is. We know Jesus' ministry was one of humility. He questioned authority figures and stood on the side of the lowly. He was the one that did not maintain the modern political structure, but came to turn the world upside down in love and service. Taking power over this world would have denied his authority over the heavenly kingdom. Jesus was never meant to rule here, as his kingdom was not of this world. This temptation of the kingdoms tempted Jesus away from his humble place. In seizing the kingdoms, he would have denied his throne and glory. Temptation twists us away from ourselves. The last temptation was life rather than death in Jerusalem. What if Jesus hadn't died? What if he'd chosen life and power rather than death and defeat? His miraculous ability to stay alive probably would have garnered him some followers. But that's not who Jesus is. We know from the very first step that Jesus' ministry is headed to Jerusalem. His time had not yet come to do a sign of wonder in that city. He would come with the cross. The entirety of Jesus' life and ministry was directed toward the cross. His death on the cross was his final defining act of love. Jesus achieved his true glory on the cross. The temptation of Jerusalem tempted Jesus away from his calling to give up his life willingly for the forgiveness of sins. In this act of wonder, he would have denied his place as savior of the world. Temptation twists us away from ourselves. And in a more problematic way, temptation twists us away from who God calls us to be. Three temptations, more than just lapses in focus on a path of self-discipline, Satan tries to draw Jesus away from who he is. But do you see what's happening here? This is a story of twisting and turning. Just like twisting around in a chair to have a serious conversation proves in the end to only be a half-hearted gesture, Satan chooses the path of twisting. Just like turning your chair to face the other shows a serious and faithful resolve that is aware of the seriousness of a conversation, Jesus chooses the path of turning. Throughout this text, Satan is twisting scripture. The tempter twists scripture out of its place to deny Christ his calling. Satan's suggestions are only half measures, insincere and lacking in the long run. Jesus takes the diligent, faithful, and in the end, more difficult path of staying focused on the journey. His journey will take him to the cross, to the ultimate sign of love and redemption, and to the fruition of his calling on earth. This path has no drive through no shortcut, no instant option that is faithful to the journey. And for those of us who hope to follow on this journey to the cross throughout Lent, following the way of love that reveals Christ's kingdom here on earth and reflects God's mercy for all people, it is imperative that we realize that God's word is at the heart of this twisting and turning struggle. Now, it's distinctly troubling that Satan is this well-versed in God's word. 
We Lutherans are called upon to understand that the Holy Scriptures are the word of God and are the norm of our faith and our life. Yet I would posit that if we read God's word without love, then we are simply twisting Scripture. There's a provocative artist named David Hayward who does these little line drawings to address issues within faith and life. One of my favorites by him shows Jesus speaking to a crowd, and they're all carrying their Bibles. Jesus says to the crowd, the difference between me and you is that you use Scripture to determine what love means. I use love to determine what Scripture means. I love that. It's a simple and profound statement striking right to the heart of this tension between twisting and turning. Throughout this season of Lent, we will be called to turn back to God's word, seeking the ways in which it gives life and sustains us for the journey. However, we cannot turn to God's word with a desire to love only this far and no further. God's love is reaching out farther and farther than our human lines and divisions, farther than our human prejudices and hatreds. God's word is a message that is meant to turn God's people back to the journey. The faithful, tough, long, liberating, hope-filled, kingdom-seeking journey that is turning the world upside down. The question for us as faithful followers remains, what are we doing? Twisting or turning? Are we twisting scripture to limit our love? Or are we turning our lives to better see Christ's kingdom here and now? Are we turning our lives to remain rooted in the word of God and love? Or are we twisting to find an easy way out of this call to discipleship? Are we turning our lives to keep the cross of Christ in focus, even as the gospel way turns our lives upside down all around us? Twisting and turning will remain the central question of this path. This journey of Lent is a path of repentance and discernment. Repentance, a calling that is at the heart of this season, is rooted in the Hebrew understanding of the word shuv, meaning to return and nacham, meaning to feel sorrow. As sin grieves God and wounds the body of Christ, in humility and sorrow we are called to turn from sin and return to God. In the Greek of the New Testament, repent comes from the word metanoia, meaning a change of heart and mind. Turning our hearts, turning our minds, turning our lives toward the promise of God, this is all part of our Lenten journey. Discernment is the faithful art of listening, listening to the voice of the true that speaks around us, listening to the voice of that which is true, beautiful, and abiding that speaks within us. This is the gospel way, and yet this is the same way of which Mary sang in Luke, saying, He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This, Jesus, is turning the world upside down, and we are called to discern how to follow in his path. Twisting or turning, that's our choice, and it's not a choice we can make alone. It's not a struggle confined to just these 40 days. We are simply bringing it into greater focus in this season. Our Paschal candle has been replaced by a lens that turns our world upside down, that this lens might be our point of focus for the journey. From drive throughs to instant coffee, we know that the way of turning, a way that's deliberate, faithful, and rooted in trust, this way is countercultural. That's why we gather in this place, with this family, time set apart from the world, 
That's why we journey through this wilderness together. We can't do it alone. Our gospel lesson might give us some false sense of self today as we see Jesus wandering in the wilderness by himself. We may be inclined to believe that we can navigate this tension between twisting and turning by ourselves in the midst of our own individual disciplines. Yet that's not true. Christ walks in the wilderness, turning and not twisting. And as he walks, we walk. We are Christ's church, Christ's body raised up for the sake of the world. We are united with Christ and united with one another through the waters of holy baptism. We are not alone. We are never alone. And we should never try to be. Lean on one another during this season. Be in conversation with your neighbors. Be in prayer so that we might listen to the voice of the divine. Immerse fully in the gift of worship. We have a long journey ahead of us. Lent is not a time for easy answers or half-truths that limit God's love. This is a season for acknowledging honestly the ways we twist away from God's call, from our inmost nature, and using this time of faithful accompaniment, we turn back to God's way of love and hope. And when we grow weary on this journey, as we struggle in the tension between twisting and turning, I pray this Lent that we remember the central promise found in our gospel story today. No matter where we fail, God is turning toward us. God doesn't twist in half promises and conditional love. God's face was set on the cross. Christ's ministry was always going to take him to the place of death, where his loving mercy would be known to all. When we struggle, twisting and turning in faith, let us keep our eye on the cross, on a God always turning to us with love everlasting. Amen.